Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show that wields the mighty power of the song story and the practically magical way music and songs become intertwined with our lives and our memories. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Samantha Uzbay. Samantha is a producer and director of business development at Premier Music Group, a distinguished music supervision and strategy firm based in New York City that specializes in overseeing music for film, television, advertisements, and entertainment companies, working closely with renowned music supervisor Randall Poster, who she once dreamed of working with someday. Samantha has played a key role in diverse projects, most recently contributing to the Grammy-nominated The Birdsong Project. It's a 242-piece collection of original music, poetry, and art, including works by Yo-Yo Ma, Mark Ronson, and Beck, and others, all inspired by Birdsong to benefit bird life. Samantha's also a fourth-generation classical musician. She's a professional violist and violinist who earned her B.A. in viola performance from Boston University's College of Fine Arts and studied at the Royal College of Music in London and the Manhattan School of Music. Samantha comes our way via episode number 300 guests, Rebecca Shaw and Ben Cronengold. Hey there, Samantha. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for doing this. This is a pretty quick turnaround for us. We just had uh, Rebecca and Ben on, and they lauded you greatly at the end, and you've been gracious enough to join us. So thank you. My pleasure. They are my dearest friends, and I'm honored to know them and grow up with them and work with them, and I just think the world of the two of them. So I'm, I'm glad for the opportunity. Thank you for having me on. Cool. Um, so you're a fourth-generation classical musician, your bio says. Um, what did the three previous generations like do or play? Do you have that locked in? Yes, I definitely have it locked in because <laughs> it's, been, it's been fused into my mind since I was an infant. So my great-grandmother, um, this is all on my mother's side, my great-grandmother um, was a classically trained pianist. She was actually, um, she studied at the Yale School of Music back in the day, which is pretty unbelievable. And she used to play on the radio uh, in Connecticut and New Haven. Um, so there, there was my great-grandma Martha. And then her daughter, who is my dear grandma Alice, she uh, was an opera singer. And I always find these old cassettes of her, of her singing, and she is an angel, and she still is. And then there's my mother, who was a classically trained pianist, and then um, also her sister, who is my Aunt Julie, who I call Aunt, and I've worshipped her since I was born as well. Um, she is a professional violinist. She's creme de la creme. She was my violin teacher growing up and viola, viola teacher as well. And uh, she's pretty unbelievable. I studied with her at the Manhattan School of Music pre-college. She's worked with Itzhak Perlman and played, you know, all around the world. And I I just adore her. She's the best. So then there's me. Um, So I started the violin when I was three years old. Uh, My mom was a bit reluctant to bring me into that world just because it is uh, a highly disciplined and... Um, intense world to be in when you're, especially when you're a child and expectations of the child uh, grow exponentially when you're practicing every day with a parent. Um, But my parents were incredible. Um, And I started, I wanted to start because I used to watch my my aunt Julie uh, play the violin when I was very young. It's actually my first memory. And I remember strangely asking to play the violin and it was a whole conversation. And my father, who um, is from Turkey, he grew up in Turkey, built his own guitar because that's what he had to do, was was just so keen on me playing and, and having that opportunity. And he guided me through that entire experience. So I would practice with him every day from when I was three to... Well, then, you know, it teetered off when you become 12. That's when it's like, okay, we think Samantha's <laughs> ready. Um, but um, yes, but he was always involved in lots of time in the car going to um, my music schools. And um, that, that's, that, that was also a very formative 
experience and and memory with my father, which we'll get into, I'm sure, later. In the Sounds like you're not only did the apple not fall far from the tree, but you're like your apple's like leaning up against it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean it's coming at me from all angles, and I'm really lucky because um, I really had a, a, a an eclectic. Uh, I had a lot of music playing around me growing up, whether it was myself or my aunt or just what we were listening to. And then my father, who is a self-taught guitarist and bassist, who I also idolize, and I'm in constant awe of his of his sponge-like brain, especially when it comes to music history. And uh, he has taught me everything about the blues, about rock and roll, um, even, you know, country. I mean, it just from, from, from A to Z, he knows it all. He retains it all. And uh, I owe it all to him. He really opened my, my world when I was in my classical uh, bubble. And I'm hmm. grateful for that. You grew up on Long Island. Do I have that correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. Um, do you remember the first time that you saw music perform live that didn't involve a family member? That didn't involve... Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Um, I'm not gonna... Well, I guess like Barney and the Wiggles would include a parent's needing to turn the TV on. Um, oh, I mean like but, in person. <laughs> in person. I was like, okay, wow, you saw first... Barney in person? That's cool. <laughs> well, honestly, no, I did not. I was just on the television. I loved Barney. <laughs> Um, that didn't involve a family member. I mean, I really grew up just around music. Uh, I, my, well, my father took me to my first concert, which was the Rolling Stones. Well, that'll work. But that involves a parent. Oh, no. But he wasn't playing, but he's in a bunch of Stones cover bands. Oh, no. Well, I just meant it involve a parent (laughs) in terms of like they were the one performing. Sound like you had so many parents and grandparents and aunts and people performing. You probably saw them all the time. Yeah, well, mostly my aunt, um, because she, when I was very young, you know, we were going to watch her play at Carnegie Hall with Itzhak Perlman, you know, Hmm. it was, she's, 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 she really, I've, I've seen her perform so many times and obviously I've played with her because she was my teacher. Um, it's hard to think of a time, like my earliest memory of music that was not associated with my parent unless they had taken me to a concert. Um, like my dad did with the Stones. My mom took me to who was it? Kelly Clarkson and Clay Aiken. She <laughs> took me. <laughs> she took me there. It was at Nassau Coliseum, and I loved. My mom loves did, Kelly Clarkson. Did you love so. that more or the Stones more? Um, I feel like they're my two different personalities. I love it because my mom is just so fun, and my dad. It just every time I'm, my dad just takes it so seriously as he should. I mean, it's historic music that's being played. I remember I was really tired at the Stones concert. I was like seven. Um, so I, you know, I got tired at the end, but I loved it because I, I loved, I love just doing anything with my dad. So, um, and my mom, I don't know. This is a hard question. I just loved it all. <laughs> what was the first band <laughs> or musician that got your attention as an individual that, you know, that you started to glom onto? Okay. There are two. Stevie Nicks. And Lady Gaga. All right. Um, I like both of them. Me too. Um, Yeah, Stevie Nicks. My my father introduced me to Fleetwood Mac uh, when I was pretty young. And her voice and her witch-like spirit. I was named after Samantha Stevens from Bewitched, so I think I'm a witch. (laughs) Um, Like a good one, like Linda. But... um, yeah, I, I just thought uh, her songwriting was unbelievable, and I I just was fascinated by that band. And then Lady Gaga, she just came out of you know like she she just broke into the scene in such a way, and my friends and I would just just obsess when when Born This Way came out when I was in high school. I that was the first time I really. Uh, became super dedicated to a contemporary artist um minus my 
minor Justin Bieber fandom um, that we're not going to discuss on here. <laughs> I'll be sure um, to bring that back up. I'll bring it up. It's in my no, back no, no. pocket. No, no, no. We don't now. need to. We don't need to do that. Um, <laughs> no, but in a serious way, like in a way that I was like, wow, I, I want to be like her, and I respect her. Uh, she's so in control of her narrative and her her songwriting is just unbelievable and she made me feel like I was a part of something um like I wasn't I, I mean I wasn't you know not that I, it, it wasn't like a I felt alone kind of thing it just felt like I really got to identify with her music and have fun with it and sing it she was kind of the I, I didn't start singing until I was a lot older I was like well I was probably 16, 17 when I first started singing and this was a shock to my mother because she's a Broadway queen and she just felt like her life flashed before her eyes and she wished <laughs> that probably I did theater growing up. Um, but yeah, I started singing Lady Gaga and Stevie Nicks. Hmm. Uh, those were my first, those were the first, that, that was the first uh, repertoire that I that I would sing publicly or, you know, just and I taught myself the piano because I loved singing and playing along and I would sing speechless and I loved the fame monster. And I just, yeah, I, I just, I just love the theatrics of, of both, uh, obviously of Lady Gaga's albums and, and live shows. Um, but, but the character of, of both of those artists are hmm. just very inspiring to me. I saw, um, I never really paid much attention to Lady Gaga, and then I stumbled across a, a video of her in college playing piano and singing some of her songs. You know, she was like eighteen mm -hmm. or nineteen, and I was like, "Oh, I get her now." Because oh yeah, Stephanie Germanotta <laughs> on Stanton Street. So it is time for your first song. Okay. How would you like to proceed? I would like to listen to it. Okay, this is the Jeff Buckley song, right? Yes, Grace. Okay, this is Samantha Uzbe's first song this week on Three Song Stories. This is Grace by Jeff Buckley. It's the title track from his 1994 album of the same name. It's his only studio album I learned. It unlocked something in me when I was young. Uh, and I remember the first time I listened to to Jeff Buckley uh, with my father uh, every, every Saturday from when I was 14 years old to 17. Uh, I was a student at the Manhattan School of Music pre-college. And my father, you know, I could have taken the train, but my father was just so supportive and, and just uh, he saw it and I saw it as quality time together uh, to drive. And every Saturday morning, We'd get in the car and it would be an education. And he would teach me about a new artist or band uh, on the way there and back. Uh, so I remember the day that it was the Jeff Buckley uh, lesson. And it started uh, the first song that we listened to. Well, we first, we, the first album, you know, we listened to was Grace, of course. Um, and we started with Lilac Wine, which. I thought was just beautiful. And we kept it going down the album, you know, Mojo Pin and Lover You Should Have Come Over, which is a close second to this, uh, to, to Grace, the song. Uh, but when Grace came on, it changed me. I'm not even being dramatic. It unlocked something so emotional in me and then learning and learning how he left us and listening to this song, this was a prelude to his departure from this world too soon. And what's so eerie about it is the song sonically to me sounds like drowning. It sounds like a cry for help uh, while also feeling comforting and it goes from major to minor and again, that ride of emotion that it takes you on. And, and he was such an intelligent writer. He was such an intelligent songwriter, you know, like the counterpoint with his lyrics that, that line, but she cries to the clicking of time. 
you notice he's clicking. I, it sounds like a pen almost. Hmm. He's clicking in counterpoint to those lyrics, and it's just it's just so smart. And he's wailing for many seconds. I, I haven't counted, but it's just it is such a masterpiece of a song. I feel, and um, it's taken me through a lot of emotional periods in my life. It's taken me through heartbreak. It's taken me, it's educated me. It's, I've always gone back to that song um, and learned something new every time I listen. It, it's a memory for me. Uh, it reminds me of how grateful I am to my father for showing me such incredible music at a young age. And not only just showing it to me, but telling me the stories that went along with each song. And um, it, it's a, it holds a very special place in my heart. And this, I mean, we mentioned that Lady Gaga and Stevie Nicks were the first artists I think that I identified with the most. But um, this, this became more serious when I started listening to music in this, from, this, from this album. And um, I was an obsessive, this really marked the obsessive listening habits that um, I have. I owe that to my father who, um, had, you know, obviously is, I've inherited it. <laughs> how, much, um, how much of that deconstruction you did of the song was stuff he taught you then and how much is of, of it is stuff you've learned since as you've progressed into the world? I think that specifically with with this song, I've probably, you know, I took it to a new level. I don't think my <laughs> father was listening to this as much as as I was. So, and I, I did a deep dive on this on this track. So, probably on my own, this one, um, I I I I did the research and just listened over and over again and learned something new every time. Um, Oh, like the strings and it's just, you know, it just felt like home. That's another thing. I obviously, I just, I, I love when strings are put to good use in a song. Um, they really, it, it's just such a smart song. It's such a beautiful song. It filled some, uh, some void inside of me. It was like finding a treasure. Uh, and yeah, it, it's a real memory for me and I'll never, it'll never be taken away from me. You know, I, went through college then with this song and I showed my friends this, this record and um, Jeff Buckley. And, and I just, I love how appreciated he is. I think he's, he could be even more appreciated. I think people mostly just listen to hallelujah, which is incredible. Um, but there's, there's so much more. And he was such a deep person and, you know, his, what my dad taught me is really, you know, about his father and, um, uh, you know, what his, how his career progressed um, and how he started in New York and he was playing live. Um, and uh, he, he taught me, you know, he just let me know. He just filled me in on all the places, all the venues that he would perform. My dad loved to give me a geography lesson of uh, New York City and where musicians would frequent in the 70s through 90s. Um, one of which was at Electric Lady Studios, um, which is also a very special place to me. I, I interned there when I was 19, and my dad was so proud of me. Hmm. Um, uh, and I was, that was an, it was an honor to work in that building and just be a fly on the wall. Um, and I've, I've always been very grateful for that experience. It made me very hungry. And, uh, be, it, it's one of those situations if these walls could talk because all of the artists that my father would talk to me about and teach me about growing up uh, have have recorded legendary records in that studio. And um, I'm on a tangent here, but... Oh, we're all about yeah. the tangent. What's yeah, your, let me... What, <laughs> what's, what's your dad's name? My dad's name. Oh, yeah. This podcast episode is about my dad, Kurt Uzbe. <laughs> Kurt. Oh, wow. And I just want to give a shout out to Awesome Dads. <laughs> yes. And what's your Honestly, mom's name? We don't want to yeah. leave her out. What's your mom's name? 
Oh, my mom, Michelle. Michelle, okay. But anyway, back to cheers to great dads, Kurt, if you're listening to this. Hopefully you do. (laughs) He will. (laughs) Um, If you are going to Manhattan School of Music at a young age, are you definitely on a track to either be a professional musician or live in the world of music? Is that a foregone conclusion? Good question. Not necessarily, uh, but I'd say... A high percentage of students that study in pre-college um, in a conservatory uh, at a young age do go on to pursue it. At least they have it; uh, they, they use it to uh, get into college, um, and maybe they'll stay. Maybe they'll stick with it. Maybe not. I definitely did. Um, I wanted to be a music major. Uh, and yeah, I think, I think it's kind of, it's, it's a tough question because a lot of students at that school, you know, classical music, a lot of parents put their children into classical music at a young age, which I think is a fantastic way to teach, uh, discipline and hard work. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, the child enjoys it. And often when they do, they'll stick with it. Um, but yeah, I, I did. And I actually, I, I auditioned as a violinist and I was a student there as, uh, I was a violinist there. Uh, but then when I was in a chamber group, my junior year of high school, my chamber coach uh, was getting very frustrated with our violist. I was in a, a quartet and our violist was just not showing up and Miss Weiner was not happy with that. And so she uh, just, just in a rage of frustration, she said, who wants to try the viola? And I, I, you know, I'm a big personality. I'm, I was just like very wild. And I was like me (laughs) and (laughs) I shot my hand up and she yanked my violin from my hand and I was like oh my god but um (laughs) uh and she gave me her viola she actually had a viola um in her studio and uh she was like just just play it like you're playing in third position on the violin that's how I was I I didn't know how to read the alto clef I knew (laughs) the treble clef um um and bass clef but that's another story but um yeah so I just sight read uh not well, probably, but I loved holding the viola and I loved this, the, the rich tone and um, it just felt a bit more human to me and I stuck with it. I decided that this was my path and of course it was a long conversation with my family members because, you know, my aunt, she actually, she knows how to play the viola and she plays it beautifully, but uh, she's not a viola teacher, but I was not going to leave her because she is the best. Um, hmm. And she taught me how to play the viola. Uh, and um, it was a whole process. You know, I it's a larger instrument, um, different strings, um, different clef, uh, different repertoire. And it's kind of, People say that the violin is more difficult. Honestly, when I play the violin now, I feel like I'm playing a toy. Right, right. Because <laughs> it's just like so much smaller. Um, I play it. I play the violin often still, but um, the viola just felt so sophisticated. And so it was interesting timing, though, because college auditions were the next year. And that meant I had to nail uh, oh, you had to die. You, understood. You didn't have the runway behind you with the viola. You had to no. do all that with that deadline. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a very intense period of practicing, and um, it was really tough. Um, and I kind of faked it till I made it. Right. I I actually I have perfect pitch, so I was able to listen to this concerto called the Walton Viola Concerto, uh, which we will get into. Uh, I was able to listen to the piece. It's one of the most difficult uh, concertos in the viola repertoire. And 
uh, I knew that this is what I had to play to impress and get into a great uh, music program. And I was able to listen to the piece and play it by ear. And I kind of was cheating. No one really knew this. I was kind of cheating uh, because I wasn't really, I was just for the, you know, uh, you know, for the time uh, and the rhythm and all, all those elements, reading the music and just to stay on track with where I was. But I, I was playing the whole piece by ear and I played the first movement of the concerto for my college auditions. And I, you know, it, it took me very far. And then when I got into uh, school and I was working with my viola professor, she realized that I was <laughs> still reading the alto clef as if I was in third position on the violin. You were just, you had and, an algorithm in your head that was called oh, convert yeah. to viola. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and she just whipped me into shape. Oh my goodness. College, um, conservato- conservatory style training in, in college is no joke. And if you can't commit to that commitment, uh, you got to get out. And I think that's what, back to your point of do a lot of children that study music growing up and take it as far as going to music conservatory pre-college at a young age, do they stick with it? Oftentimes, no, because it is a major uh, commitment, especially in college. And also it's understandable, you know, when you've been doing something since, since you were a child, since you were a toddler in many cases, you want to try something new. And, um, but I didn't at that time. And if anything, I wanted to play the violin and viola, but do something else as well, which is uh, music supervision. So when I was 16 years old, uh, I was in the midst of learning about music from my, my education, but also from my, my parents and my family. And I was having my Wes Anderson phase, as one does, <laughs> and I watched the Grand Budapest Hotel, and I fell in love with that score. And I was thinking, maybe, do I want to be a composer? Um, do I want to, you know, maybe now that I'm singing, do I want to be a singer? Do I want to be involved in theatrical productions now? I loved, I did a lot of musical directing in, in college and I performed in theater productions and I just I really wanted to be in the musical entertainment space the theatrics of it all the music of it all the storytelling elements um, of productions and I so anyway back to the Grand Budapest Hotel I of course know, knew who the composer was but I, I said to myself there must be more behind this and I didn't even have to dig that deep because I was rolling through the credits and there was the name Randall Poster, music supervisor. So I decided in that moment, and I told my dad on the way to Manhattan School of Music, I'm going to work with Randall Poster one day. I am going to emulate his career. That is it. This is done. Um, so I was going to use my, uh, my knowledge of classical music and uh, just music in general to inform my career as a music supervisor. Uh, which which is where what I do now. Which so is what you I went would... on to do, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Oh, right. But, okay, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> no, that's really on okay. my journey. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> um, we're going to do your second song now, which you've already kind of alluded to, but I wanted oh. to ask a, a question. And in, in reading up on you, I found that at one point you played with a group where you'd worked with things like classical swing, big band, ballroom jazz, Motown, rhythm and blues, rock, and disco. And I want to stop on disco. Did you really play disco or along to disco somehow? Yeah. So, okay. So I, (laughs) when I was 15, I worked for this company, um, that, that, uh, performs at weddings and corporate venues. I I wanted to make some money as a violinist. I wanted to be a working musician. I was always so focused. That's something to know. I was always since a young age, just so focused on what my career was going to be and like making it. I was just so, I still, am very, you know, dedicated to that. Um, but I was super hard on myself when I was a kid. I always felt like I needed to be 10 steps ahead. Um, not that this was that, you know, this is like, you know, I was having, I was doing a job, but I always just wanted to be like older and 
in my career and all that. So when I was 15, I started working for this company called Hank Lane and I played a bunch of weddings. And so I would have to, you know, I would play anything. I would play anything that they wanted me to. As a violinist at just, that point or had you made the trip? As a violinist. As a violinist. I always, typically when it came to the weddings, because since it was a smaller ensemble, it's often just me and a cellist and maybe a a guy on keys or whatever just a smaller it was a small a smaller ensemble so it would often just be violin um uh and still you know i still take some some gigs like that if a friend asks but um uh well actually no i haven't really played at a wedding in a few years now <laughs> i've been a little busy with other things but i still love to play the violin anyway yes i had to be flexible it really helped that i was able to play by ear um take requests all that jazz and uh it was fun it was fun yeah and it probably put you in some places you wouldn't have gone otherwise yeah i was just both literally you know, I was and musically I was a, <laughs> go ahead i said both, both literally and musically or geographically and musically yes oh my goodness when i was 17 i got my driver's license and i would you know i would drive myself to these gigs and the first time i did that it was in the hamptons and I did not, I didn't live out East and I drove all the way to the Hamptons. I was terrified on the, on the way home. I was so scared because <laughs> I, it was like my first week driving and I like drove by myself out to the Hamptons and, you know, going through, you know, dark roads. And I just, I was terrified, but it was a formative experience. But and yes, it did bring me all around the world, I guess. Well, all, all around the country, um, I, I guess. Um, yeah, and I'll get into that element okay. later, I guess. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's do your second song now, which is the uh, the Walton Viola Concerto that you you referred to before. Yes, how do you, how the would you piece. like to go? The piece, darling. It's classical music. <laughs> well, you've kind of teed it up already that you played it as your audition song, but do you have more you want to talk about, or you want to just dive right in? Um, I'll just say I you know I played the first movement of the Walton Viola Concerto for my college auditions, which changed my life. Um, and and was a real accomplishment for me on many different levels. But we brought it home back when I was graduating from college. Uh, we decided, my viola professor and I, that it would be a beautiful moment to play the viola uh, concerto, the Walton Viola Concerto again, but the full all movements of the concerto for my senior recital. Uh, and I did it. And you know, of course, I was. I was reading properly. I was going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I, I was playing it by, um, you know, I, I sight read it. No, sight read it. I, um, I memorized it uh, for my performance. But um, it's a very, it, this piece has opened many doors in my life. And I think it's beautiful. It's probably the longest. I don't know if you've had guests that play classical pieces on, on your on your show but sorry for the long length of it <laughs> we've had longer classical like pieces and we had a 21 minute long fish song once so there's that. oh lord okay all right go <laughs> ahead <laughs> all right this is samantha Uzbe's second song this is walton viola concerto by william walton this is the first movement this version was performed by violist yuri bashmet or bashmet and the london symphony orchestra uh, this is three song stories this is biography through music So where do you find yourself going in your head and dwelling on, et cetera, when you listen to that with us? It's, it's a very dreamy and moody and vigorous and romantic and almost feminine-like voice, I feel, um, throughout this piece. And it also brings me to my hours and hours and hours in the, in the, in the practice room, practicing those uh, various double stops and uh, slowly going through my intonation and um, there's a lot of soul in that piece and it it makes me feel uh, proud that I played it and it makes me miss playing uh, concertos on on the regular and um, I it makes me feel appreciative that I have a background in classical music and that I s can still play and, um, you know, engage with chamber musicians and, and, um, I'm still in that world where I can, I can, you know, pitch a classical piece to a, uh, to a director or a, or a, you know, a client and know 
uh, how to talk shop. And um, it's, it's, again, it's an emotional piece. It really was the soundtrack to a lot of my youth. And uh, I, I, you know, it's something that will always be there. And uh, it's it's just a beautiful piece, and the the additional movements of the piece are also beautiful and um, lively. Uh, it's a real story. It's a very cinematic piece. It just feels uh, it, there's a lot of personality in in the melody, and um, I, I love it. Hmm. So you studied viola performance at Boston University, but you knew you wanted to go on to do music supervisor stuff. How did you make that transition? Like, you know. How did that work? So I always, throughout college, I, during the summer, I would do various music programs um, and study, you know, I studied at Tanglewood and of course I had to practice all summer, but I really tried to balance my classical life with uh, music industry experience. And the summer is where I relied on that. So I would, I would put myself uh, and and I, I would go get internships. I interned at Electric Lady Studios, uh, which was a very special time where I discovered tons of new music. Uh, and, you know, it was a very inspiring place to be. And it made me want to, my, it made my, I became obsessed with the idea of coming into the studio as a client hmm. um, on the other side of things. And I've done that since, and um, you know, it's a very special place uh, for me to visit, and I feel very lucky to have spent some time in that studio. Uh, and then also, I interned. You know, I, I did some A and R internships at Sony, and um, I just always kept myself in the mix. I also was involved with a few live performance uh, events throughout New York City. Um, I was actually in a band in college, uh, singing and playing the viola and violin and and piano and, um, a little guitar. So I was just always keeping one foot in another realm of music. Um, so, so that really, I, I always knew that I wanted to end up in music supervision. So I kept on doing things to put myself in a position where I would be eligible to be one. And, um, uh, so I, right after college, I was actually, I was an artist. Um, I was actually touring around a bit. Um, I was a panelist on a few, um, songwriting panels and I was in the studio a lot. Um, and I was of course playing a lot of session gigs and, um, weddings and all those things. Just, you know, I graduated <laughs> college. I wanted to move to Manhattan, um, and, and make it happen. And so I, got my first job out of college at Columbia Records, where I was for uh, three and a half years. And while I was there during the pandemic, actually a little bit before the pandemic, right before the pandemic began, I was at a friend's holiday party. And I noticed that uh, Randall Poster was there after my my dear friend, Rebecca Shaw, um, and her mother uh, introduced me to him and pointed out that he was at the party. And that's the guy uh, you're going to be like. <laughs> yes. And it, it was, they did not make me aware that they knew this man. I, of course, you know, Re- Rebecca is a very close friend of mine and Ben. So, and we, the three of us um, and our friends are just always talking about our dreams and our career goals ever since we, we were pretty young. And so they were aware that I wanted to be a music supervisor and, uh, that I really respected Randall Poster's work. And so they introduced me to him. I was starstruck, um, but I, I was cool. And um, <laughs> uh, we had a great conversation and I, w- I felt really lucky to have met him and I, we kept in touch. And uh, throughout the years, uh, in, in 2021, uh, he reached out to me while I was still working at Columbia Records and he needed help with a project. And I was like, Absolutely. <laughs> I will be there. What is it? And it ended up being the Birdsong Project. So the Birdsong Project is a uh, 242-track, 20-LP uh, box set of music and poetry and artwork inspired by Birdsong. And as we and know we, from Rebecca and Ben's episode, we're talking about real live flying birds, not, not metaphorical birds. No, full on birds. Uh, <laughs> all the proceeds from the sales of the box set uh, 
benefit the National Audubon Society. We've put on various cultural events um, and, and, and we have tons of programming behind us and in the works. Uh, and it's become something larger than we realized. And uh, it's such a fulfilling project to work on uh, with Randall, with Randy. And um, he's become my complete mentor and I, um, throughout the, the, the project, throughout working on the birdsong project, uh, while I was still at Columbia, uh, I had met Josh Deutsch, who is the CEO of Premier Music Group, uh, where I now work and Randy and him decided that they wanted to bring me onto the team. So I've been working with them for now a little over a year and a half. And it's really, I feel incredibly lucky to work with such a special team, a team that I've known about since I was 16 um, and, and decided that I wanted to work with that team when I was 16. And, and here I am. And um, it's really been so special. And I really am so grateful to uh, work on such great projects and, you know, work with such talent and get to listen to music and use my knowledge of music um, to to tell stories. Explain, so, yeah, explain the scope of what, uh, you know, music supervisor, you know, like what does your job entail besides the Birds Box Set project? Um, or, you know, for instance, like how you work with Rebecca and Ben on what they work on. Yeah, so there are a few elements of the job. So one, of course, curation. So um, setting the tone, setting the musical tone for uh, projects, whether, you know, our team works on film, television, advertisements, podcasts. We also, uh, provide musical strategy to, uh, to companies and filmmakers and entertainment, uh, live entertainment companies. Actually, one of our clients is Cirque du Soleil, which has been a really fun project to work on. Um, and, uh, so there's that it's the curatorial element, um, and, and, um, providing musical insights to projects. And uh, so that's a really fun, creative part of the of the job and um, very fulfilling. Then there's also the clearance side of things. So clearing with uh, rights holders, uh, you know, to put uh, their music into projects. And so there's that side of the job, which really exercises your, um, your, your um, lawyerly side, I will say. Yeah, I can only... <laughs> Actually, no. I, can only... <laughs> I guess... It just it's, it exercises, you know, your business brain, let's say. And um, yeah, so it's a really it's a really fun job. And we all wear a lot of hats and it's 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 really a dream. And so I balance that with the Birdsong Project. Um, and I have some projects coming up um, of my own. I'm working on a short film. And um, and of course, as you mentioned before, Ben and Rebecca, who uh, are incredibly talented writers, they have some things in the works that that I, you know, help soundtrack to, and um, I provide some musical ideas, and those will come to fruition soon. And uh, yeah, so it's a lot of just collaborating with really interesting people, and you know, helping Randy out with uh, some of his supervision projects and the team. We work on a lot of advertisements, um, and. Uh, yeah, it's a great it's a great gig. You just so get I'm to live great. your life totally steeped in music and not just classical music, but just the music world. It sounds great. Yeah. And I also um, I'm a director of business development there as well. So I work with our CEO, Josh Deutsch, uh, to bring a new business. And um, it's it's a great it's a it's a really great position to be in. And I'm really lucky to have such great mentors and um, to be doing the work that I'm doing. And um, yeah. You are also, as I understand it, collaborating as a producer, songwriter, and vocalist with Grammy-winning artist Wyclef Jean. Oh, my goodness. How did you find me? <laughs> I dig um, around. I dig around. Oh, my goodness. Well, when I was, when I was, when I had graduated college, um, randomly, some, some girl that I went to school with, you know, I was in that band and she submitted me to her friend that I think was working at his record label at the time and said, you know, you've got to meet and work with this, this, this girl named Samantha Uzbe. And he sent my videos and all this unannounced to me. I had no idea that she had done this. And he ended up, I, I got a call during the summer after graduation from someone. And I thought that it was a scam. And 
then they called me back, I mean, they called me back and they were like, yeah, Wyclef is looking to collaborate with some young talent and he thought you were great and he wants to meet you and he wants to work with you and, and guide you. And I was like, what? This is the most random thing of my whole life. But sure, I love Wyclef Jean. I love the Fugees. Um, so I ended up working with him and he he gave me a lot of opportunities to thrive. You know, he brought me with him to South by Southwest and, um, you know, put me in front of lots of uh, great opportunities. So I was panelist, I was, a, you know, a panelist at um, the ASCAP I Create Expo, um, Songwriting Expo. And um, I really went all around the country with him and he introduced me to some really incredible artists that I look up to and um, he really believed in me as a musician and singer and writer. So it was a really interesting time in my life. And I'm always going to be grateful to him and his team for seeing something in me. And um, yeah, it was a really fun time. It was just crazy. It came out of left field. I had no idea what was happening. Uh, but yeah, so so it was great. And huh. I still, you know, that's Uncle Clef. <laughs> Uncle Clef, that's so good. I'm so glad I found that then. Um, oh, my God. Okay, it is time for your third song. So Stevie Nicks finally rears her head again. So how would you like to go with this one? Let's, we can listen to it, and then I'll talk about it. Okay, this is Samantha Uzbe's third and final song here on Three Song Stories. This is Say Goodbye by Fleetwood Mac from their album Say You Will, released in 2003. Now I say I've never heard that song before. That's something else. Isn't that something? Isn't that just pain? Hmm. There's so much in there. It is, uh, I watched that, uh, I, I watched Stevie and Lindsay perform that on YouTube. Um, <laughs> but they, they performed in Las Vegas, um, the song, uh, maybe a, a decade ago. And, Stevie's crying on the stage, tearing up, I should say. And, you know, Lindsay's finger-picking his guitar so beautifully as he always has. And it's a real, and my, my interpretation of the song is it's a, it's a love letter almost. It's a farewell letter. And uh, it's a reflection on their career, on their relationship, and... It's a very bittersweet song, and it really inspired uh, me to write stories, and um, it felt very theatric to me. It felt uh, cinematic, and it inspired some writing for me, um, playwriting, and um, I... Every time I listen to that song, it, it's carried me, you know, through there. It, it supported me through various times in my life, whether it's inspiration for my writing or comfort during tough times or um, if I want to feel something, you know, that, that's that's an old reliable. And it's funny because uh, you would expect me to play a song from Rumors, I'm sure, uh, or, or, you know, any of their other albums in, in the 20th century, from the 20th century, not from 2003, although I believe they did write this song uh, in the 20th century. Uh, but um, this one felt like a reflection on all of that. And Rumors is the album that they, they all, all members of the band were going through troubling times in their relationships. And it was almost like a diary uh, for all of the band members uh, during that time. And I also want to just mention, of course, she's not, um, you know, featured in this song, but Christine McVie, uh, she was, is, and was, rest in peace, uh, a highly influential figure in my life, especially because I related to her uh, with having a classical background. She was a classically trained pianist, and I always read that Stevie Nicks thought that was just the coolest thing. And um, I loved the respect that Stevie and, and Christine had for one another uh, 
as women in rock bands. And, and they promised each other that they would walk if they were ever treated like second-class citizens. And they, they were, you know, Fleetwood Mac couldn't go on without them. And uh, I just wanted to give Christine McVie a shout out as just a rock and roll woman. Uh, taking no prisoners. I just love her. But anyway, yes, this song just captured so much. And I just, it's its the live video of them playing in Las Vegas. I highly recommend you watch that because it just perfectly tells the tale of of, of what never was. And and we, we can all relate to that, you know, just a dream, just a dream. Um, you said that it inspired some writing. Did that writing ever go anywhere? It will. It will. <laughs> That's the plan. Um, yeah, it inspired me to write a musical. And um, I'll leave it there for now. But um, this is a very inspiring band for me. Um, they are all such masters of their craft. And um, Fleetwood Mac, I, I, you know, people, friends of mine just, you know, it's become a part of my personality, Fleetwood Mac. I just, I just love their music, and um, I, I feel grateful that they're, they're, they are who they are. And I got to grow up listening to them. And again, my, my father introduced me to Fleetwood Mac when I was super young. Um, well, Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac and Christine McVie and the old Fleetwood Mac, too, back when they were a blues band in, in England. And... Um, Again, thank you, Dad. Um, <laughs> did you ever dress? Do you ever dress up like Stevie Nicks in, in her earlier era in a Halloween sense or anything like that? Um, I think both in the Halloween sense and the reality sense. And just like going I to work. Very sense. much inspired by her. <laughs> What's that? I said, and in the like going to work sense. Oh yeah, yeah. I think um, definitely, especially when I was younger. Oh my goodness, I was like, you know, I just, I, I always was that. Annoying, um, you know, I would always say, you know, I just wish I grew up in the 60s or, you know, the <laughs> 70s when the music was good. So annoying because music is good now still. But um, uh-huh. um, I just love the I love her style. Of course, of course, I look up to her um, in every way. But of, of course, she has fabulous taste. Um, all right, Samantha, you ready for a speed round? Mm, sure. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Be ready for I'm anything. Ready. Lean in. Lean in. Um, okay. Uh, do you have a nickname that stuck over the course of your life you'd be willing to share? Um, sure. Blue. My Blue. dad calls me Blue. Um, and Uzbe, my last name. At Columbia, people really only called me Uzbe. <laughs> well, it's funny because um, I actually wrote as a little uh, parenthetical aside here. I, um, I put a follow-up question. Any ever based on your last name? And clearly it by itself yes. <laughs> I love my I, I love my last name I feel proud to be um, half Turkish and um, it's a fun last name my dad's band's name is Uzbe but spelled differently like with like ooze like O-O-Z-E-B-A-Y or something hmm. um, but yeah we love our last name do you do karaoke and if so what would be your go-to song yes and Defying Gravity Who's, uh, from who? Wicked Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> um, did you ever do any musical theater on stage? This is not really a yes. speed round question, but I was curious. Yes, I have. Um, so in college, I definitely um, was very involved with the student-run theater um, called Be You on Broadway. And um, this was a, it was a serious, you know, people that, that I, I worked with and, and sang with and performed with have gone on to do big, big things in theater, um, and acting and all that. So it was a really well run, uh, student, student program. And so I did a lot of musical direction. I, I I was a musical director for American Idiot, the musical, which was such a formative experience. That the Green Day thing? mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it definitely, I have not, I still have a can, you know, I still have a candle for, uh, I, I hold a candle for, um, um, chasing, um, musical direction again in the theater sense. So I would love to musical direct a musical again. Um, and and I also performed in a few productions. I was in Godspell. And then also just throughout, uh, you know, my my college experience, I, I did a lot of um, performances in New York City. Um, 
in in the theater world and lots of programs. Uh, so yeah, I definitely and I you know I auditioned and you know I was I was definitely I still you know would love to continue work in in um, theater. So uh, yes, I don't even know. Care- the- careful what you wish for. It seems <laughs> like when you try to get an idea in your head, it, it happens. So you know, be, be, care- <laughs> be careful. I, I love to manifest. <laughs> um, if you were a championship wrestler, what music would you enter to? Um, right of String, Stravinsky. Ooh. <laughs> what would your wrestler name be? Uzbe. <laughs> if you had to guess, what would you say is the song you've listened to the most times? Oh, my goodness. Um, what do I even say to that? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that that uh, viola piece. <laughs> well, oh well, yes. I'd probably say. Okay, my answer to that is, it has to be what I've listened to. Whatever I was playing, um, performing on the violin or viola, I listened to eight thousand times in a row. Obviously, the Walton Viola Concerto because I learned that by ear. But I think in reality, it's probably a um, either a Fleetwood Mac song. Or um, maybe Grace by Jeff Buckley. Maybe that. Hmm. What activities or pursuits make you lose track of time the most? When I'm writing music and um, playing the piano and um, playing the viola, practicing viola. I also love to paint. (laughs) I definitely lose track of time there. Um, Listening to music. You know, I, I, I love listening to music. Um, all of those things, but definitely when I'm in the zone creatively and I really, you know, when I'm listening to music, when I'm trying to pick a song um, for something I'm working on or um, just when I'm in my creative space, I definitely lose track of time and it's a great place to be. This is a new speed round question. You're the first to get it. What's your favorite or most impactful book that you've read? Oh my goodness. What is the most impactful book that I've read? Maybe The Alchemist. My grandma gave that to me when I graduated high school. And I thought it was really thoughtful of her to give it to me. And she gave it to me for uh, philosophical reasons. But I really loved that book. And um, it's a classic. Song you wish you could hear again for the first time ever? Oh... I shouldn't be answering Grace and say goodbye every time. Um, oh, you know what song I love? It's it's called Little Drop of Poison by Tom Waits. And oh, I yeah, love yeah. that song because it's, well, his voice is just spectacular. and um, But I love how theatric it is. And um, that also inspired my writing and um my my hope to tell great stories it's that's a beautiful song and it's not even beautiful it's just kind of like moody and you can imagine it it almost feels like moulin rouge it's just so it's i i love i love that song i love tom waits if you were trapped on an island and you can only have one justin bieber (laughs) album which would it be (laughs) Oh my God! Wait, I have to remind myself what I'm. I'm googling this. I forgot the name of this. this oh, you're album. just pretending okay. to forget, so you have some. You can hold it at arm's I'm, length. It's yeah. taking me so long to yeah. think of a Justin Bieber album. Listen, everyone. Okay, I was. I was ten. How could I know them all? I know them. I'm just slowly. Okay. Oh. Okay. 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 Oh, my world. Two thousand nine. My world. I love that album. That's a great album. No one can deny that. Honestly, Justin Bieber was when he was a when he was a kid. That was a special thing. What, what was going on there? <laughs> Do I deny no, my involvement? You, yes. I, I told you to lean into the speed <laughs> round, and you're doing it. <laughs> Listen. I'm not going to lie and say I didn't want to be the one less lonely girl. I'm just not going to do it. Oh. Um, are there any songs that you'll avoid listening to because you don't want to be reminded or somehow like influenced by them once again? Mm. 
I should keep that private, shouldn't I? Yeah, uh, but it's, um, that's like the nickname definitely, question. you know, <laughs> there are some songs. There are some songs that you know take me back to times of healing or just wanting to feel, you know, some kind of um, comfort and and um, maybe those songs. But you know, I don't, I, I don't operate that way. I think a good song is a good song, and I love feel. I love to feel, so I. I, I'll always go back to certain songs that remind me of uh, certain people or time or times or um, pain or or joy. You know, I, I I don't operate that way, so I can't a- answer that question properly because I I love I'm a girl who loves to reminisce, and um, music is a great way to to do that. Honest answer. If you could broadcast a song into the head of everyone on the planet all at once, and you know, you're probably like closer to being able to do that than most of our guests, uh, what song would it be? <laughs> if I could, like, if I could just put it into everyone's yeah, brain? Yeah, like you're, you're creating a magical moment where suddenly 8 billion people hear a song. Oh. Okay, so it should be um, something positive, maybe. Um, you know, I've been listening. I don't even know. Wait, I have to think about that. That's like an important one. <laughs> it is, especially like you. You know you what? Know. I would love to paint the world with charm. And there's this song called Natasha by the Peter Thomas Sound Orchestra. Um, that is just so pleasant. And um, I, I, I would, I would, I would like to put that into it's a very calming beautiful makes you stop and smell the roses kind of song i think people should listen to that song okay what would your 14 year old self think of who you are today i i think that little samantha would be excited um i i think i properly manifested uh what i'm doing now which is really uh, nice, and I feel grateful for that. And um, I think that she would just say, "Keep going, and don't lose sight of the eight thousand other things that you want to do within the world of music and theater and movies and all these things, and just keep creating and um, don't stop. Just just check all the boxes." And I think she'd be proud. I think um, I'd love I'd love to just always keep violin and viola in my life which i have been um and i think that she would want that for for me um but i'm doing it i'm i really i'm working hard at maintaining all of the things that i love and um and and uh executing all of my ideas and and um goals cheers to that samantha um all right it's time for you to recommend three people that you'll share this with that you think we might be able to get on okay my first recommendation is harrison brumell he is a very dear uh person in my life and he is an art he's a gallerist and he's a curator so he has introduced me to so much incredible eclectic uh music uh, so I, I think that he would be a wonderful candidate uh, to talk about his musical experience. He's also an incredible drummer. Uh, he's from Nashville um, and and the West, and um, he just has his his musical taste reflects that. He has impeccable taste. So I think he'd be great for this. Cool. Two, um, I would love to recommend Winslow Bright, who I work with at Premiere. And she is a music supervisor as well, and she uh, has great taste. She is the president, the co-president of our company, and um, she's just a fabulous woman, and I think she'd be great on this show. Um, and I would also like to recommend a filmmaker I'm working with named Hannah Gray Argansky, and I'm working with a short film with her uh, right now. I'm supervising a, a short film she's made, which is fabulous, and a coming-of-age story, and she has she too has great taste. Um, and I, I, I would love to hear her selects, um, and for her to tell the story of her, of her musical journey. So those are my people. That sounds great. And honestly, honestly, honorable. I think my, my father should be on the show. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know, think Curtis Bay should be on this show. You know, I've I'm gonna. Done. Richard just gave me the nod. We have bylaws, and we have just done a, a voice <laughs> vote with our mind brain voices. And yes, your 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 dad can do the show too. Oh, he's honest. He's the coolest. He's not only is he just you know a music. Uh, like uh, the, spa, the the encyclopedia for music. He's a race car driver. He, you know, he's just a very uh, well-rounded person. He's well, well-spoken and the greatest man I know. So um, I think he'd be great. Awesome. Well, you've done it. Do you have any final thoughts you want to leave us with? We've really, I mean, I've I've really enjoyed talking to you and we're going to totally take over your little scene of peeps up there. We're going to get you all on the show. Everybody in New York's music scene is going to be talking about us because of you guys. Oh, stop it. I'm so honored to be on the show. And thank you again to Ben and Rebecca for recommending me. And um, yeah, thank you again. I'm so excited to listen to it. This week's parting tune comes from Samantha. This is her original, still unreleased song whose working title is 3%. She says she wrote it alone in her apartment in New York City during the pandemic. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is host and online content producer. Our production assistant is Jared Gonzalez. Christophus is executive producer. And our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. Keep listening.